0: Alright, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Why don't you stand, and we're gonna re- I'm going to read this, and you follow along. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for Romans chapter 8. We thank you, Father, for the blessings that are coming, that have come, that are on us now. God, we are thankful for the assurance and the certainty and the rock-solid trust that we have that these things are ours. Father, I pray that you might stir up our affections for you, that we might know in a greater measure your love for us, and God, that we would respond appropriately. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. So Paul begins in verse thirty-one by saying, "What shall we say to these things?" Okay, so it's on us today. So please understand that as we've uh, worked through Romans eight for months now, uh, really now is the point where Paul's saying, "Okay, all right, believers, those of you who are joined and tethered to Christ, those of you who have this hope, all right, now, now it's on you." If we believe what Paul is saying here in Romans eight, if we embrace these great things that he's told us, what are we going to say? How are you going to respond? What's going to come out of you in your heart, in your mind, your mouth, your your actions? What are you going to say to these things? Now, let, let's let's I want to bring some reminder. Okay, some of you may not have been here for our Romans series, and so let me give you the the ten or no probably like thirty second. Uh, review of where we've been in Romans chapter 8. So what are these things that Paul is talking about? Well, Romans 8, 1, he tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're connected to Jesus, no condemnation. You'll never be condemned. No wrath of God, no judgment upon you. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. If you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, then you are in God's family. He has adopted you. That's what Romans 8 told us. He's adopted you into his own family. He's put his Spirit inside of you to well up and cry out, Daddy, Father, that's the kind of Spirit he's put in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If you're a son, then you're an heir, okay? An heir is in one who inherits. One who's going to inherit all that Jesus. You're a fellow heir with Christ. Everything that Jesus gets, you're going to get. Wherever Jesus goes, you're going to go. Whatever Jesus is going to be doing for all eternity, you're going to be doing for all eternity. You are a fellow heir with Christ. You get what Jesus gets. You inherit what he inherits. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says that you've inherited a weight of glory. It's so big, it is Uncomprehendable. You can't compare it to anything else. In fact, the stack all your sufferings, all your trials, all your troubles, all of that in, in one big pile. And Paul says, the glory that's coming for the believer is so big that you can't even measure that. You can't measure the distance between those two. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 tells us that what's coming for us is the redemption of our bodies. In other words, God's going to make all things new. I mean everything. Like new heavens, new earth, new bodies. Why new body? Because the old body is not sufficient for the glories and the pleasures and the adventure and the greatness of what is coming to us in Jesus Christ. Romans 8:28. God is working all things together right now in your life. Every suffering, every trial, every frustration, every struggle, God is working, shaping, molding, moving steering all those things to somehow bring good and glory to your life romans chapter 8 verse 30 those whom god predestines he calls those he calls he justifies those who he justifies he glorifies everybody whom god justifies he's going to bring to glory and now paul backs up and says what are you gonna say to this what do you what do you say to that like what do you respond like what comes out of you when you embrace what romans 8 says what comes out of you is it grumbling That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? It'd be a shame if, if if what comes out of believers, because we're tethered to Jesus Christ, if what comes out of us is, man, I tell you what, my present comforts are not up to snuff, you know? My life is like a two-star life, and I deserve a five-star life, right? Is that what comes out of you? Is what comes out of you this this kind of feeling that says, you know what? God is kind of like new socks at Christmas. You know, I, I need them, and I know they're good, but I really wanted something else. I mean, is that, is that what comes out of you? Is, you know, I'm not just not that interested in God. I really am more fascinated with everything else in this life. And so Paul is, Paul is putting this on us, all right? So I know some of you haven't been here for the whole series, but for those of you who have, I mean, it's really on us today. If you embrace Romans 8, what are you going to say to these things? Well, Paul helps us, okay? So fortunately... He's going to say, well, here's what you ought to say to these things, all right? So four things. I've kind of broken this out in four different pieces, all right? So here's the first thing that ought to come out of you. The first thing that you ought to say, okay, is in verse 31. And he says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? So your first response ought to be this. Man, if everything's true that Romans 8 says about me and Jesus, nobody can be against me. Nobody, nothing in this life can actually be against me. All right. Now, Paul is reasoning if God is for you, then nothing can ultimately be against you. What does it mean for God to be for you, by the way? Please don't think that that it means that like God has put on a Team Jason shirt, you know, and he's like, you know, go, buddy, go, whatever you, what do you want to do, Jason? You know, oh, you want to you want to be a concert pianist. I'm all behind you, you know? Don't, don't think that, okay? God's saying that's dumb, Jason. You got no talent, all right? I mean that that's what God is not like your personal cheerleader and you just pick whatever crazy life you want and God's there going like, No, that's not what it means, okay? When it means God is for you, it means you're on his team. All right? Literally, theologically, what it means is you're joined to Jesus, okay? You're tethered to him if you're a believer. I'm not talking about unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever here today, man. I hope you're listening because there is some great stuff that I hope is going to win your heart over to who Christ is and what he'll be for you. But if you're a believer here today, you're joined to Jesus. You're connected. You're tethered. Your life is intertwined with his and where he's going, you're going. What he gets, you're going to get. And so who's going to stand in the way of that? And that's what Paul pictures here. Paul pictures this, this, you know, you're going with Jesus. You're connected to him. Who's going to step in there and say, I'm going to block this? You know, I'm going to block you, God. I'm going to block your plan for Daniel Castro. I'm, I'm not going to let you do it. Who's going to do that? Nobody. Now, you know what's interesting? As Paul is saying, what shall we say to these things? Man, we believe Romans 8, we ought to be like, man, nobody can be against me. I mean, no, no trial, no struggle, no, no, no hardship, no, nothing in life can ultimately be against me. But you know the reality? I think we need Romans 8 because I think a lot of people... Maybe you came here today, actually, thinking everybody's against me. Did you walk in that way? Did, did, did you walk in today thinking, man, all of life's against me, you know? My boss is against me, and my coworkers are against me, and my kid's teacher's against me, and my neighbor's yappy dog, the dog barks all night, is against me, you know? And, and the weather's against me. My, my son, he's he's 16, and he was being a really good sport last night, it's Colt's first year to dye Easter eggs. He actually wanted to eat them. He couldn't get that part, uh, you know, kind of figured out. But anyway, first year, so Haddon was being a good sport, him and the girls, and they were, you know, doing it with him, and hadn't died all of his camouflage you know because his thinking was this he said he's like hey dad he said try to hide these tomorrow you know nobody will be able to find him he wakes up it's all snow you know he should have (laughs) just left him white if you wanted to camouflage him right some of you saying, man, the weather's against me. And others of you, you're here today saying, the economy is against me. Man, I'm trying to make a living for my family and everything. The oil field is against me. And maybe some of you came here today and said, man, my mother-in-law is against me. My daughter-in-law is against me. My family is against me. The insurance company is against me. My cantankerous computer is against me. How many of you feel that, huh? Your, your clunker car is against me. The devil's against you. The host of demons are against you. Your aging body is against you. Maybe your cranky two-year-old or your colicky baby, you're convinced, man, they're against me, or red lights, or train crossings, or road construction, or fast food that's short on the fast. Sometimes even your spouse, who ought to be your closest companion, seems to be against you, and you feel like you're losing out in this life. Paul's saying it can't be. Like he's saying, it just can't be. I mean, if you're tethered to Jesus Christ, Nothing can ultimately be against you. Now, now Paul is not saying that everybody's going to agree with us and all things are going to. I mean, obviously. Man, when you read 2 Corinthians 11, you realize this is a guy who was opposed everywhere he went. Paul walks into a town. He's immediately got enemies. You know, people slandering him. People falsely accused him, throwing him in jail, beating him, whipping mean, him. I mean, obviously, he's not saying that people won't. Oppose Christianity and Jesus, and just you live in a broken world. You know what? We talked about that already in Romans eight. What it mean to live in a broken world? It means you're full of sin, and people around you're full of sin. You know what happens when you get sin together, right? It's ugly, right? Isn't it? Right, and that's that's just the reality. But what's Paul saying here? He's saying ultimately, nothing can stand against God's plan for you. Nothing can stand against where God is bringing you to glory. Nothing nothing can stop that. Nothing can thwart that. If you're trusting Christ, now sin always squelches life. It always does. We, we learned that in Romans eight thirteen It says if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And the path of life is always trust in Christ. And what Paul's saying is as you hold on to Jesus, no, no matter what's going on in your life, as you hold on to Him, God's going to take whatever's in your life and He's going he's to make it for your glory. He's going to make it for your good. He's gonna multiply and magnify the glory of your life to come. Ultimately, you cannot lose with Jesus. That's what he's saying. Man, let me read you a great passage of scripture. It's Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Here's the context, okay? So the disciples have just seen a guy walk up. Lots of money, lots of power. He's like the GQ guy in the, in the town. And, and, he, and he walks up to Jesus. They have this discussion about the gospel. And he's like, nah, nah. I'm a wealthy guy, self-made man. You know, I, I, I'd like to have heaven. But if you're telling me that it's either me or you that's king, I won't be king. See ya. They, they just watched him walk away. Right as they watch him walk away, here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one, Who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands. For my sake, key, for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this... Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? He says, nobody gives up anything for me that won't ultimately get a hundredfold back, Okay? How's God going to do that? You know, if you if you give up one card, you get a hundred back. I, I think it's bigger than that. I think God is saying, in the way that I will satisfy your soul, in the way that I will bring you life, God is saying, I, I will multiply life in you. Whatever you thought you lost, I'm going to turn it for gain. And then he says, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. That's what's coming for the believer, and no one can stop that, okay? So so what should come out of us? What should come out of us? What should come out of us is, is simply this. Man, nobody, nowhere, nothing can hinder what God has for the believer. No one can stand against me. Number two, and this this is, man, this is the key one to the passage. I think verse 32, I think is the best verse in, in Romans 8. I think it may be the best verse in the Bible. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All right, now, I know it's a little confusing verse just to hear, but let's unpack it, okay? Basically, what Paul is saying here is he's, he's saying, I want to give you a logical equation, okay? If this happened, then this must be true. That's essentially what he's doing here. So what is the if this happened, okay? If God didn't spare his own son. All right? If God gave up his own son, okay? What kind of doubt could you possibly have that he's not going to fulfill and finish everything that he said he would do? All right? The all things. He's not grace is going to give us all things. I love the word spare there. God, he did not spare his own son. You know, if you're, if you're asking me, Let's say you're, you're going to die a horrible death. And the question on me is, what would I give to save you from that? Would I give you the money in my checking account? Done. Would I give you my car? Yes. Would I give you my television? Of course. Would I give you my mountain bike? Who are we talking about? <laughs> Most people, yes. Would I, would I give my daughter Haven to spare your life? Probably not. I mean, that's just true. I, I mean, I, I don't think you would either. Probably, probably not. You see, I would, I would set her aside. I would say, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give a lot, but not Haven, not one of my children. Okay, what is this saying? It's saying God didn't spare His Son. What what did what did God give for your redemption? What did God give that you might be glorified? What did God give that you might have an inheritance? What did God give that, that, that you might be joined to Christ? What did God give that his spirit might be in you? What did God give to break the hold of sin in your life? What did he give? Man, he didn't he didn't spare his son. Okay? The most valuable thing in the universe. God did not spare Jesus. He sent Jesus out of the heavens into human flesh to give you redemption. God came here. You know, every religion in the world, you know what they're all trying to do? They're trying to get to God, okay? That's so silly. You can't make it. You won't make it there. Christianity knows that. You know why? Because God came to us, okay? He knew that. He couldn't wait for us to get to Him. It never would happen. We can't get to Him. And so God put on human flesh, and He came. And God sent His Son to be Born into poverty, to be raised the son of a carpenter, in order that all things might be new in your life. God sent his son Jesus. He didn't spare him to be immersed in all the suffering. You know, God could have spared him the suffering. God could have said, no, 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 not Jesus. No, 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 you won't mock Jesus. No, 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 you won't spit on Jesus. No, 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 you won't crucify Jesus. God could have spared him. He didn't spare him. He immersed him in the suffering and struggle and trouble of this world in order to give you a glorious inheritance. God didn't spare his son to be slandered or rejected or falsely accused. God didn't say what you would say about your kids. You won't talk about my kid that way. That's what you would say. God didn't do that. God gave him up like he was part of. I'll give you my son. I'll get to redeem you. I will give my son. God didn't spare His Son, Jesus, from being tortured or scourged or staked to a cross, left to suffocate and hang before the world in humiliation that you might have eternal life, abundant life. God didn't spare His Son the weight of your sin. This is maybe the most amazing. God didn't say, no, 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 you won't put that filth on Jesus. No, 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 no. You won't put that perversion on Jesus. No, you, you won't. He won't suffer the guilt for that. No, no. God didn't spare him. But God poured out his own wrath and his own judgment upon his son. Okay, now, do you see Paul's equation here? Okay, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. So if God wouldn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And then the next part. How will we not also with him, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I, I mean, shouldn't the, the logical conclusion be man, if God didn't spare his son, you know what? I'm sure he's going to give us glory. I'm sure he's going to give us forgiveness. I'm sure he's going to give us heaven. I'm sure he's going to give us, he's going to work all things together for our good. I'm sure he's going to put his spirit in us. I'm sure we're going to be sons. I'm sure we're going to be adopted. I'm sure all those things are absolutely true because if God did not spare his son, then he surely, he surely, I'm confident, I'm rock solid sure. He will do the rest. He will finish what he started. This is such a point of of clarity in the gospel that I want to hang here just a little bit, okay? And so so I want to take the time, maybe belabored, to give you an illustration that I hope will make sense of this, okay? So what are we talking about? We're saying, if Jesus, if God did all of this on the cross, all of this, this, this great, glorious, sacrificial death, of Jesus, if God did all of that, then should you be confident He's going to do this little next sliver of bringing you to glory. Okay? That's where we're at. We're going to unpack that verse. Okay, so imagine this scenario. Imagine you're at small groups uh, Sunday night and you come here to pick up your kids. You were a little bit late. Okay, that happens sometimes. You know, you're torturing us. You're killing us, you know. But you're a little bit late, okay? And so you're, you're late to pick up your kids. And so you're here and you're kind of hanging out a little bit. A lot of people have left. And you have a terrible heart condition. It's one of those heart conditions where when your heart acts up, you've got pills to take. You've got medicine you've got to take. And if you don't take it fast, you're going to die. Like within minutes, you'll You'll die. And you're hanging out right here in this this room. You know, you're visiting with some of the teachers and most people have left. And all of a sudden, you go down. And it's your heart. And you reach down into your pocket where you always keep your medicine. And it's not there. And you remember, you forgot it. It's on your nightstand across town at your house, in your bedroom. Pastor Andrew is here. And Pastor Andrew sees what's happening. He says, what can I do? What can I do to save you? And you're like, if you could get to my medicine... It's got to be quick, but if you can get to it, it's in my house. It's in my bedroom. It's on my nightstand. If you can give me that, I can be saved. And Andrew takes out of here. He takes out of here, and he and he gets in his, his Toyota Tundra. I don't know if you've seen his pickup. It's a nice pickup, and he keeps things really nice. Andrew's like everything he has, he just takes care of it. He's one of those guys that takes care of things. When he, he won't let me ride in after we bike without a towel like my sweat. Can't get on it, you know. So but he she gets in that Tundra. And somebody has blocked him in. Somebody's great big three-quarter ton truck has blocked him in. And Andrew sees that and who there is it? There's nobody there. He's blocked in. He can't leave. He throws it in reverse and rams that truck and rams it. In, drive and reverse and drive and reverse. And he scoots that big creature. He's just smashing, just crushing the end of his truck. And he doesn't care. Why? Because he's going to save you. And he pulls out of here and he shoots across the bridge. He's going down 17th Street. Sure enough, what happens at Lincoln when you come? Ding, 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 right? Here comes a train. You know, he sees that coming. And he knows time is ticking. You're going to die. He hits the gas. He can't see how far it is. He hits the gas. He breaks through those those barriers, busts them, ramps up oh, in the air. The train barely misses him. He comes on the other side, and he's going to your house. He flies into your driveway across town, you know, 90 mile an hour, breaking every law, pulls into your driveway, jumps out. The door's locked. Of course, you locked the door. You didn't tell him the keys. He takes a brick. He throws it through the window. He crawls through the window. Lassery gets all cut up with all kinds of glass. He hits the floor. He's looking for your bedroom. Your two weenie dogs. They would never hurt anybody. They attack his, his ankles, you know. He's bleeding. He's kicking them off, you know, looking for your, your bedroom. He goes, you know, he finally finds your bedroom. The door is shut. The weenie dogs are outside. He opens the the the, the bedroom door. The Rottweiler is in the bedroom. What would take him. It's on his throat. He's fighting the dog off, you know. He's punching it, punching it. Finally, gets the dog. He, he's holding it off. He grabs the medicine, fights his way out. Rottweiler, weenie dogs, fights his way out the door. He gets out the door. You've got a neighborhood watch. You know, there's three guys on your block. They've been waiting for this their whole life, you know. They're there. they got clubs and bats. And, and they, he doesn't even have time to explain. They just start wailing on him, you know, smacking him in the face. His teeth are coming out. You know, he's trying to explain. He's trying to get away. He f- fights him off, punches him, dangerous pretty quick, you know. Fights him off and beats him. He's got the medicine still in his hand. Gets back in his truck. They're hitting the truck. He takes off. They called the police. Police pull in. About that time. They're right behind him. You know, Derek Forrest, Brock's there. The hall. They got the whole SWAT team. You know, They're right on his tail. He's trying to, he's showing them the medicine. He's driving. He's trying to, say, I've got to go to the church. They won't listen. Brock's shooting at him out of the car. You know, he's coming back, coming back to Lincoln. Okay. Again, ding, 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 ding. You know, they're strain, you know. There you go. He slides in. He he can't make it this time. He slides in. He jumps out. Brock wings him. Bullet in the shoulder. You know. Crawls up, the train's going by. He times the wheels, jumps in between the tracks. You know, rolls over, times the wheels, jumps across again. He's running, he's bleeding everywhere. He's beaten. He's got your medicine. There's a bicycle, a little kid's bicycle. You know, little ding ding. You know, horn deal. Riding somebody's yard. He grabs it. He's right. Fast again. Pulls into Lincoln. He comes to the store. In the meantime, Dan and Witt, they had a date. Dan's locked those doors. He comes and he opens the door, and he can see you through there, laying here, dying. He knows Twig and June just walked out the education doors. He knows those are open. Question. Do you doubt for a moment that he's gonna say, you know what, I gotta walk clear over those doors and come clear around? That's too much trouble. That's the most, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Isn't it? If he's gone to all all of that, you're telling me that there's even any kind of doubt in your mind that he won't immediately run to the other door and come in and get you your medicine. Okay, that illustration aims at what verse 32 is saying, but it actually falls short. Everything Andrew did there to save you pales in comparison to what Jesus did out of the heavens into human flesh. God becoming man. A life of of false accusations, of struggle, of suffering, of being misunderstood, being maligned, being rejected by those He created. And then, taking upon Himself the wrath of God that none of you have ever experienced. If you're in Christ, you never will. Taking upon himself God's wrath. Okay, if if Jesus did that, if God did that, should you not be confident that he will put his spirit in you? Receive you as his son. Adopt you into his family. Give you an inheritance that is beyond comparison. Make everything in this life that you ever would go through look so small you can't remember it compared to the glory that you'll receive. Redeem your body. Raise it up. A new heavens and a new earth. Verse 28. Make all things in this life work together somehow for your good. Paul is saying, how can you doubt that? How can you not be completely convinced that if God would do that, if He would send Jesus to redeem you, His own Son, if He wouldn't spare Him, how will He not also give you all things? So number two, you ought to be convinced. You ought to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this glory is coming for you. It is your tomorrow. It is your next week. It is your next month. Number three, that nobody can condemn or charge God's elect. Look at verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Again, what what, what is Paul doing in here? Remember verse 31? What should we say to these things? This is what we ought to be saying. We ought to be saying, who who can bring a charge against me? Who can condemn me? Where he's going with this is, who can say I'm not good enough? Who can say the sins of my past are going to weigh me down to all eternity? Who who can say that? The devil may accuse. Other people may say that. but, But here's what he says. Who can condemn? Why verse 34? Christ Jesus is the one who died who died all right now now could could it ever be said that his death was not enough could that ever be said could it ever be said that jesus just didn't get quite get it done no we ought never live that way friends we ought never live thinking the death of jesus was not enough to fully satisfy the wrath of God on my behalf so that no one can ever condemn me. No one can ever bring a charge against me because I'm in Christ and He's in me. But notice what Paul says here, verse 34. He says, more than that. Those are those are three great words. Verse 34. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then he says, more than that, who was raised? Why is being raised, why is that the more than that? You know why that's the more than that? Because Jesus' resurrection is based. It's several things, but it's basically this: it is God saying, "I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I'm satisfied. Your sins are paid for. Sin has been taken care of. My wrath has been has been poured out. Justification has been bought. Redemption has been purchased. I am satisfied. That's that's how Jesus raised from the dead because He was the propitiation. It's a big word. We don't use it it's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What it means is Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. He satisfied the wrath of God. In other words, God brings Jesus out of the tomb. Why? Because it's enough. It's good. It's paid for. It's satisfied. That's the resurrection. It is God's stamp of approval upon our redemption. It is God saying they are now redeemed. Not only is it God saying they are now redeemed, But it's saying they now have the eternal hope of all that is in Christ because you see if Jesus were still dead what kind of hope would we have for the future maybe your sins are still taken care of but if Jesus is dead we have no high priest we have no intercessor we have no one standing in the gap we have have, have no one to to pull us through we have no confidence but if Jesus is alive and I'm connected to Jesus then nothing can stop his plan for me I'm joined to him my body stops working no problem he pulls me through death into glory I am joined to his resurrection life because he lives i will live that's what the bible is saying but not only is he raised but notice verse 34 he's interceding okay he says who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us where is he interceding well he tells us he's at the right hand of god he's at the place of power and authority he is at god's right hand and what is he doing there right now We are sure, what is He doing? He's interceding for those that are His. He is offering His own life right now on your behalf. Man, have you ever gotten this this down kind of funk, you know, that, man, I'm just not good enough, and I just don't major up, and all the other Christians are better than me? Man, don't you realize Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at this very moment, Giving his life, he's offering his, his righteousness and his, his blood on your behalf. He is interceding for you as a believer. First John. Chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter one. My little children, chapter two, verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's interceding for you. What should we say to these things? Number four, here's what you ought to say. Here's what ought to come out of you. Nothing can tear me away from Jesus. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's going to separate us? Let's just go ahead and play out the worst case scenario. I mean, your life falls apart in a serious way, like it all crumbles. Okay, like I'm talking persecution, like you've never had it, tribulation, disease, nakedness. You know what nakedness implies? It implies that your life has so fallen apart that you've got literally nothing like rags on you. And no one will help you. And there's no rescue anywhere. Okay, your life gets to that. Peril. Sword. Okay, do you you see all those things he's playing out there? Okay, he's saying, what what if life gets that bad? And by the way, this is not made up. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27, Paul goes through all those things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. What about then? Look at verse 37. No. Will those be able to separate me from the love of Christ? Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Okay. A conqueror is you win. Okay. More than a conqueror is you like obliterate the competition. Okay. So there's a hurdle. Okay. A conqueror makes it over the hurdle. Right. Right. Like, he, he, he may just even skim it, you know? He may knock it with his, his toe as he goes over, and it rocks, okay? But he's a conqueror. He made it over him, okay? More than a conqueror is a guy who jumps the hurdle, and he makes it by 18 feet. And while he's up there, he does three little pirouette spins and a couple somersaults and some, you know, supermans or whatever, you know? He, he like, more than conquers. okay? And so what Paul is saying here is that tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, peril, all those things... Okay? For those who are in Christ, God is going to take those things and he's going to use them to bring victory, more than victory. Did he do it in Paul's life? He did. Absolutely. What should we say to these things? Man, you If you're joined to Jesus, we got to walk out of here saying, Nothing can ultimately be against me. No one can bring a charge against me. Nothing can separate me from christ's love. and oh best of all, it's rock solid, certain that God's going to do every bit of the things he said he would do in me and for me. now why why is, why is this so important? Like why would Paul spend the whole almost the second half of Romans eight? Saying, you can be sure of this. 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 You can be sure. Why, why would he do that? A couple reasons. There is no excuse for you not to be a person of hope. If you're a believer. Like you, you should be fueled by hope. You should, your, your engine should run on hope. You should persevere and persist on hope. You should risk. Christians, why Why has the gospel gone all around the world? You know why? Because it so fills people with hope that they they say, I'll go. I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. Count me in. I'll risk it because I'm not really risking it. It It ought to fill you with such hope that the gumball trinkets of this world won't have any hold on you. You know what I mean by that? Like the world's always offering you a substitute Jesus, you know? Hey, here, look at this. Give your life to this. The guy that's filled with hope, the gal that's filled with hope, (laughs) no thanks, you know? Why would I want that when I got this? Paul deeply wants you to know how much God loves you. You say, well, I already know that you don't know it as much as you should know it. How, how, why can I say that? I can say that because in Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul prays for the church, he says, I pray that they may have strength to comprehend what's the height and depth and length and breadth and width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? That means some of you are brand new believers, and you're you're excited about Jesus, and 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 you, you know the love of God to this extent. You know that he died for your sins, and... I mean, you're just trying to figure out all that it means. Others of you have been a Christian for a while, and hopefully if you've been a Christian for a while, what that means is you have come to explore and, and take adventures and, in the love of Jesus, right? And you, you, you're basking in it, you're in the Word, you've prayed, you've experienced, and, and you know the love of God of this, and you're, you're certain of what's coming. But here's what Paul's saying. Nobody, 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 nobody's explored all the depths of the good things that are coming. It's beyond your imagination. It's beyond your ability to comprehend right now. The good things that are coming. Okay, and so Paul wants you to know. He wants you to strive to understand how much God loves you. Because I'm telling you, that's what drives you. Man, what would God do? What could God do with a people who are completely convinced of his love for them and that he was for them? Man, that, those people would change the world. Finally. I think there's probably people here today in all three services who are not joined to Jesus. And here's what I hope Romans 8 does. Maybe, maybe this is the only sermon you heard in the series, but, but maybe this much, just whet your appetite to the kind of God that we're talking about here. And and here's my here's my prayer. That you would not settle for anything else in this life. Have you seen that commercial about the settlers? I think it's like dish TV to cable or whatever, you know, and it like depicts these people that are, they've like settled, you know, they're not like moving beyond, you know, they're like, we're going we're gonna to make our hats and eat our terrible food and, you know, play with our dumb toys and watch Uncle Ernest, you know, bathe. You know, I mean, it's just this like pitiful existence. Now, now the, base of the commer- basis of the commercial is completely flawed. You know, telling you that Dish TV is going to give you life, okay? Or cable, whichever it is. Completely flawed. But as I was thinking about Easter Sunday, I found myself thinking about what I settled for instead of Jesus for 18 years. And it, it makes me wonder, if you're here today and you're not joined to Jesus, what are you settling for? Like, what are you getting instead of Jesus? Jesus. I've just told you, I've just told you what God promises, and logically, we've worked it out. Man, if he'd give his son, he's going to give all this. And so, if that's all coming, but you're still saying no thanks, what, what are you getting instead? Here's the, here's the most popular options. You're getting to gratify all your lusts. I was there. So, you get to do whatever you want, right? No boundaries. You just, grat- like, whatever your flesh desires, you gratify it. And, man, I'll tell you what's true. And if you haven't experienced it, you're going to experience it. It doesn't ever fill you up. Never, ever. You're left hungry. You're left wanting more, having to get more, trying to get more, striving, being selfish, trying to take and take and take more and more and more to gratify your selfish desires. And in the midst of that, here's what happens. You wreak chaos on everybody around you. That's what you're getting. That's what you're settling for instead of Jesus. Or maybe others of you. What you're settling for is being the self-made guy, you know, being the, I'm it. A lot of people will, will go to hell exalting themselves. Like 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 what they settle for is what are you getting instead of Jesus? Well, I'm getting a life of posing and flexing and posturing myself and drawing attention to me, taking selfies, you know? That's what I get. That's what I get. Money. Jesus said that'd be a case. There'd be people that would would say no thanks. Man, we just read about one in Mark 10. Here's a guy that said no thanks to Jesus and all of this. And what's he settled for? Well, he gets to have some new things. And, and the older he gets, he's got to buy more and more, more new bricks, more shiny things, hoping to impress as everything in his life gradually dies a slow death, fading, losing its ability to satisfy his soul. Here's what I'm urging you. Thanks for being patient. I'm just urging you, don't settle. Man, there's a God who loves you to this extent and has proved it in this way and has promised these things and we can logically discern will never let us down and it's all coming He purchased it for you. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from everything else and say, Jesus, man, I trust you. I want you. I give my life to you. I'm with you. Whatever it means, no matter the cost, I'm yours. Man, I hope that, I hope that the Spirit of God would do that in you today. Father, I pray that you would help us today. God, just well up within us this faith response that Paul is calling us to here. God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for going to the cross for us. God, thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you for purchasing the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives inside, for the inheritance that's coming, that is ours. Thank you for changing us from the inside out, changing our desires, changing our wants. Thank you, God, for adopting us into your family and the hope of redemption, the redemption of our bodies and the new heavens and the new earth. And God, thank you for all of that. God, I pray that we'd settle for nothing less. Father, help us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.